turn with me to Psalm 136. You'll find this on pages 843 of the Bible, 843 and 844 in your pew Bible. The 136th Psalm. We'll be reading this psalm in its entirety. Psalm 136. It's on your large print sheets in the Pew Bible, pages 843 and 844. My friends, this is the Word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. For his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them. For his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. For his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his mercy endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his mercy endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his mercy endures forever, to him who led his people through the wilderness. For his mercy endures forever, to him who struck down great kings. For his mercy endures forever, and slew famous kings. For his mercy endures forever, Sion, king of the Amorites. For his mercy endures forever, and Og, king of Bashan. For his mercy endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage. For his mercy endures forever a heritage to Israel, his servant. For his mercy endures forever, who remembered us in our lowly state. For his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies. For his mercy endures forever, who gives food to all flesh. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. 
for his mercy endures forever. A beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we continue in our study of the 136th Psalm. We started last week. We say it, we already have established as the theme of this psalm that the psalmist gives us abundant reason for thanksgiving. The psalmist gives us abundant reason, indeed 26 reasons, for thanksgiving. And of course, we looked, started looking at this last week because this is the time of year when we often think about thanksgiving. And that's certainly an important time in terms of our culture, in terms of our society. But it's what I was suggesting last time is that it's sort of a takeoff point, if you will, because we should, throughout the year, also be engaged in instances of thanksgiving, of giving thanks, and of course, preeminently, giving thanks to God. Now this psalm is divided into several different sections, and it has, as I'm sure you can tell, a unique structure with its refrain, for his mercy is everlasting. His, his mercy. That word, as we noted last time, is chesed. We would spell it C-H-E-S-E-D, sort of that sound, chesed. His mercy is everlasting. Uh, that, that notion of, of mercy, is of, of loving kindness, is a very rich one. And in a sense, it's almost hard to define. It's, it's a very full one. It's very rich in its meaning. It's a, it, it can indicate mercy, love, compassion, compassion. We, you know what compassion is, that we, we see someone that's in distress and we have mercy upon that person. So it's similar to grace, but there is this almost moved, if you will, in terms of compassion. By the way, this refrain emphasizes the fact, which we know from a variety of, of reasons, for a variety of reasons, that the Psalms are to be sung. I know that sometimes folks may look at the Psalms, may grow up reading the Psalms, and never realize that they're supposed to be sung. But they are. God has given us his hymn book. And isn't that a wonderful... We don't have to write our own songs. God has written them for us. That the Spirit himself has inspired. And so this refrain then helps to emphasize the fact that the Psalms are indeed to be sung. Well, God's mercy then, his hesed, his love, his compassion, is without end and is without limit. It is without end and it is without limit. And so when he desires to show his mercy to his people, there is nothing that can prevent that. We talk about in terms of, you may have heard of the five points of Calvinism, uh, and uh, the eye of that is in terms of irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. The idea that the great hound of heaven, you say, will indeed pursue us. 
until he brings us to himself. And here, that, that's the sort of thing that's being emphasized, isn't it? That there is an overwhelming nature to it. It's like, as I suggested last time, it's like going to Niagara Falls or Amicalola Falls here in North, in North Georgia. And so it's, it's overwhelming in terms of the water that goes over the waterfalls. But more so even than Amicalola or Niagara or anything that we can experience in terms of this world, even more than that, God's chesed, God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion is never-ending. And it is without limit, as well as refreshingly overwhelming to us. God's love also is faithful. It is a faithful love. He has, has bound himself by covenant. He has bound himself by covenant to those whom he has chosen from before time began. And he has sealed that covenant with the blood of his son. And so that's what we find here too. And that's why we're able to sing his mercy endures forever. And in point of fact, the very fact that we have this repeated 26 times makes sure that there is no missing the point. There's no missing the point. His mercy endures forever. Now, last time, we considered the threefold summons to give thanks, verses 1 through 3. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And uh, there we, we uh, emphasize the, just really the whole notion of who God is. And I, uh, children, I'm not going to ask you to recite it, but you know that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, just, and truth. And he is good. He's always good. He's good in whatever he does. That's his nature. That's certainly part of the, or one of the attributes, one of the characteristics of God. And then, oh, give thanks to the God of gods, all the supposed gods, the false gods of this world, the supposed gods. But also, oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And so he is the one that rules over all kings and presidents and governors and mayors and prime ministers and all other human authority. Last week we noticed that there were three words, three distinct words used here for God. Lord, in verse 1, is Yahweh or Jehovah, the personal name of God. And then in verse 2, Elohim, which is the word for God. And then verse 3, it's not Yahweh, it is Adonai. It is Adonai. And so this is a way of emphasizing who God is in terms of Adonai, for example, the fact that he is the ruler, he is the governor of all. And remember last week, I particularly emphasized the fact that we are to thank God simply for who he is. And that's hard for us to do because we, we tend to be very practically oriented, right? But you remember last week I, I said uh, the fellow doesn't say to his wife, you know, love, dear, I love you so much because of all the, the, uh, the great food that you cook me. 
Now that's nice that she cooks good food. But what is the guy supposed to do? Dear, I love you because of who you are. And so it is here. We need to love God simply for who he is. And if we would know him, that's how we're going to approach this. First of all, simply for who he is. But now we come into the rest of the psalm today, particularly verses 4 through 9, as we see God's work as creator. God's work as creator. Notice what the psalmist says, verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. To him who alone, the emphasis here is, on the fact that it is God and God alone who can do these marvelous things. What marvelous things? Well, he has done great wonders in his creation. Now let's think about this just for a second. We know from scripture, we know from our confessional uh, documents that we praise God not only for the fact that he has made all things visible, but he's also made all things invisible. So what are, the, what are some of the things that are invisible that you can't see that God has made? Well, first of all, he has made the angels, angelic beings. Think of all, and I mean, there's a lot we simply do not know with regard to these spiritual beings. Now, they can take on human form at times. We've seen that. But in themselves, they obviously are invisible because they are spiritual beings. The archangels, the seraphim, the cherubim. And we see them as the messengers of God in a variety of ways. They're his servants, certainly. For, the, for example, they are around the throne crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of thy glory. They are God's messengers, we are told. And they are the ones who perform duties for God on behalf of his people in ways that we cannot even imagine. We cannot even imagine. And so these are among the wonders of God's creation, the wondrous things, the amazing things. We can also think, for example, of, again, things that we don't see with our physical eyes, such as elect waves. This is the way by which electronic communication is made possible. We don't see them with our physical eyes. God is the one who has provided for these. What about the oceans? What about the oceans? You know, the, the, the ocean, the uh, Pacific Ocean, is as deep as about seven miles. Can you imagine seven miles down? Can you imagine going in a, uh, a submarine or technically a, uh, a bathysphere, going down that far, seven miles down into the ocean? What about the ocean itself, then, in terms of what it provides for us, the ease of commerce, the fact that we're able to use ships, to use boats to get from one place to another, able to sail the seven seas. What about water itself? You know, we don't think about this very much, but water, think about it for a moment, is a remarkable substance, is it not? It is certainly necessary for life. You couldn't live, children, without water. 
It expands. Did you know this? And I'm sure you do. It expands when it freezes. And that allows fish to live under the ice in wintertime. It is also what we call a universal solvent, that is to say everything can be dissolved in it. And again, this is very important. So water itself, it's an amazing, it's an amazing part of God's creation, the very fact of water. I love going, I haven't been for a while, but I love going to the Georgia Aquarium. Perhaps you've been there and seeing those sea creatures, you know, that 65 foot wide window that I can just I can just sit there and be mesmerized for hours if you will as all the whales and the sharks and the manta rays all swim by what about squid and octopuses and seahorses have you seen those seahorses aren't they amazing what about other animals as well Zebras. Children, you like zebras? You know, the horse in striped pajamas, as uh, Captain Kangaroo would have said. Zebras. Giraffes. God certainly has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Giraffes. Lions. Tigers. Monkeys. Horses. Cows. Deer. Dogs. Cats. What? I mean, I'm barely scratching the surface, obviously. Think of all the wonderful variety of life. Think of all the plants, the beautiful flowers, the roses, the carnations, the sunflowers. Think of all the grains that provide food. How do we get bread? How do we get cereal and so forth for breakfast? All the grains that provide food. And of course, the herbs as well. For, to spice things up, and sometimes for our health as well. But more than that, think about some of the structures in terms of, in terms of life. We could say the biochemistry, if you will. Think of all the chemical structures of these plants and animals which provide for life. And of course, beyond that, as we think of chemistry more broadly, Think of also the many useful things, including plastics and metals and all kinds of things in terms of the very structure of chemistry. Chemistry is a wonderful field. Children, maybe one of you will be a chemistry major someday. It's a fascinating field, all the elements, all the, the molecules and so forth. And the more that we know, the more we realize we don't know. We've only barely scratched the surface in terms of these things. These are among the great wonders in his creation. And so I ask you then, as we think about verse 4, are we in awe of his great wonders? Are we in awe? Are we astonished by them? We should be. Are we thankful for them? the psalmist was. So, to him who alone does great wonders, another reason for thanksgiving. But now we come to verse 5, to him that by wisdom made the heavens. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. 
Now, my friends, our God is infinite in wisdom and understanding. He is infinite in wisdom and understanding. We sang this afternoon from Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And so it is by his wisdom then that he made the heavens. We see something of this as well in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3, in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, and uh, verse 19 we read, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. And then we turn to Proverbs chapter 8, a great, a great picture of wisdom personified. Verse 1, does not wisdom cry out, understanding lift up her voice? And then you come to verses 22 and following. And wisdom here is speaking the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. By wisdom, you see, God created. By wisdom, he made the heavens. He's the one that created the firmament, the expanse. He is the one who stretched it out. He is the one who created the atmosphere, the, the heavens that we can think of in that sense as well. And it is all according to his wisdom and his understanding, and we are called upon here to give thanks for that. And then we come to verse 6 to him that stretched forth the earth above the waters. This, of course, recalls Genesis chapter 1 in terms of, of the creation of the world and the division the, between the water and the earth. In terms of these great land masses, he is the one who stretched them out. He had stretched out the heavens but here he stretched out, as it were, the land. And the creation, then, of these great land masses, such as the continents, shows God's great power and wisdom. Verse 7, to him that made great 
lights. Now, you know man needs light. Without light, man <coughs> will become depressed. And ultimately, without light, man will die. And plants and animals also need God's needs, need the light which God provides. Well, we have here the creation of great lights. He's going to flesh that out over the next couple of verses. But here, once again, we note that the creation of great lights is itself a display of mercy to him who made great lights. And then, verse 8, the sun to rule by day. Now, you know from Genesis chapter 1 that God had already made the day and the night. So you already have this pattern, you see, this, this pattern of night and day that God established in Genesis 1. And then later during creation week, well, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 just for a second, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, Notice verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, God saw the light that was good. God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then you have the second day, the firmament in the midst of the waters, and so forth. Then you have the third day, starting in verse 9. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. Verse 13, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Now we come to the fourth day, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, obviously. And the lesser light to rule the night, that's the moon. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Do you see the picture that we have here? God starts. Where does God start in terms of, he starts with the earth, doesn't he? But he also, in creating then, he also establishes the light and the darkness. But then on day four, he then places the sun and the moon and the stars in the firmament in order not enough to create light, but in order to regulate that light. And that's exactly what you find here. And so he says here, the sun to rule the day or to rule by day. You know, of course, that the sun is a great, burning, overwhelming light. This is what we read in Psalm 19, in the 19th Psalm, where the psalmist, of course, is rejoicing in the heavens. But in Psalm 19, he also says, In them, the heavens, he has set a tabernacle, a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. 
and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising. It's from one end of heaven, and it's circuit to the other end, and there was nothing hidden from its heat. So the sun, then, rules by day. Think of the benefits of the sun. Light, obviously. That's how we get light. Heat. Can you imagine being in this world if you didn't have the, the heat of the sun? Photosynthesis in terms of plants, how they are able to grow. Even the condescension in terms of the, the vapors in terms of the earth. And so the sun then is the one that helps to generate those things. And the sun, we are told here, rules the day. You cannot control the sun. You cannot put him on lockdown. There is no way that the so-called rulers of this world can control the sun. God is the one who controls the sun. And so then also the moon, we see in verse 9, the moon and stars to rule by night. So the moon, as you probably know, helps us to work out months and even weeks. You know, the various phases from new moon, and then you go to crescent, and then you go to waxing gibbous, and full moon, and waning gibbous, and so forth. The moon helps us to work out months and weeks. Did you know, children, that the moon also provides for the tides? So maybe you've been to uh, the ocean, and uh, you, you've uh, been on the beach there, and you see the tides that, that come in, the ocean waves. Well, how is that? Well, it's because of the moon. And so these tides then help to prevent stagnation in terms of the water itself. Furthermore, the moon's light provides comfort and wonderment. How many times have you looked up at the moon? Whatever phase it may happen to be, it could be a crescent, it could be gibbous, it could be a half moon, it could be full moon. How much, how pleasant is it to look up there? And also to realize that, for example, when it's a full moon, it also sometimes can provide just amazing light. And so the moon's light then provides comfort and wonderment. And what about the stars, though? They also help to regulate the seasons. In recent uh, decades, we've had a reference to what is called the Summer Triangle, so this is not so much in terms of antiquity, but it's the summer, what's called the summer triangle, which consists of three bright stars overhead. And it's particularly in the middle of summer that we see the summer triangle. In the fall, Pegasus, that is to say the, the winged horse, wings its way near Cygnus the swan and Andromeda. And in winter, Orion, the hunter, stretches out in the night sky, his jeweled sword's sheath faintly twinkling. They help regulate the seasons. We know what season it is. They help with navigation. Is that not what Psalm 19 tells us uh, in terms of 
of the, the language. Day unto day, utter speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Some of you may remember the late uh, Dr. Roy Blackwood, who was a minister in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America during World War II. He served as a navigator on board an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. And they captured a Japanese aircraft, and he said, we couldn't understand anything about, you know, we couldn't read any of the instruments except for the navigation e equipment. Because the language that is spoken by those stars is universal. That's what Psalm 19 says. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. These lesser lights, these lanterns at night, the stars, themselves provide comfort and cheer. Now I have three observations here, and then two points of application. The first observation is this. Notice that there is a connection between God and light. There is a connection between God and light. God himself, we are told, is Light. God is love, God is life, God is light. And physical light, the physical light that God has created, points to and reminds us of spiritual enlightenment. As the psalmist says in Psalm 119 and verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This theme of light also plays in terms of children of light. In Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 8 and following, Paul writes, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's a connection then, you see, that we must not forget between God and light and also re be reminded here at the same time of the life that comes from light. This is true in, a physical, in the physical realm, as we've noted, but it is also true in the spiritual realm as well. Secondly, worship is to be given to God the Creator and not to the creation. Worship is to be given to God the creator and not to the creation. Men have historically worshipped sun, moon, and stars. How foolish, children, is that? How stupid that is to worship the creation and not the creator. To worship the God, the, 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 the sun, as if it's a god 
or, the, or to worship the moon, or to worship the stars. God alone is the one who does great wonders. Don't be fooled. Don't be misled by this. Don't be distracted. Don't be derailed by this. Worship is to be given to God, the creator, and not to the creation. And thirdly, by way of observation, what we see here is creation as the theater of God's activity. What we see here is creation as the theater of God's activity. It is, creation is the theater of God's glory. Now, children, you know what a theater is. You go and see a movie there. You go and see a play. It is the theater of God's glory. Or we could say it's kind of like a planetarium where you go into a, to a place and maybe there's a telescope there, there are displays that can be set up in terms of the night sky, like a planetarium, or maybe an IMAX theater, mm -hmm. maybe a huge screen, maybe you've been to an IMAX, this huge screen, and maybe something that talks about creation, the wonders of creation, or of the night sky. Creation itself is the theater of God's glory. But more than that, it is also the theater of God's redemptive activity, his salvation. And that is why the world was made the way it was. This is the reason for the creation of the world. So that God can save his people. So that God can show his mercy. So the mercy that is being referred to, and it says, to him who alone does great wonders, his mercy endures forever. Jehovah by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. It's not simply that the mercy is related to those particular things, but rather there is mercy that is shown because of the fact that it's in this context of creation by which God saves his people through which God saves his people, by means of which, as he directs all things sovereignly to save his people. Now, you know that less than a mile away, we have the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It cost, what, a billion dollars, 1.8, whatever it was. What's a, what's a few hundred million dollars here or there between friends? But anyway, it would be like building the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and never having a sports event in it. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be really crazy. So, even if there was no sports event, we'd say, oh, that's a wonderful stadium. Look at all the, the wonders of this. Look at all the great things that are here, in terms of the, uh, the retractable roof, and you know all the seating, and the, the, uh, all, all of that. All of that stadium, okay? That's wonderful. But that's not the point of building the stadium, is it? The point of building the stadium is so that there can be a sports event in it. And so it is in terms of creation. The point of creation is so that God can display his glory, not simply in terms of the sun, moon, and stars, but in terms of the recreation, the redemption that is 
that has been brought about through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, in saving his people from their sin and using, sovereignly directing all of these things so as to bring about that salvation. And that's why you have it here, for his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. So two points of application. First of all, when you look at creation around you, remember to give thanks to God. When you look at creation around you, remember to give thanks to God. This world, my friends, did not just happen by chance. You've probably heard, children, you've probably heard of Napoleon about 200 years ago. He was the emperor of France. He conquered much of Europe. And before he became emperor, on his way to Egypt, military expedition, he had to deal on board the ship in the Mediterranean Sea with all kinds of atheistic philosophers. And so they would give all their reasons for why God did not exist. And so then he called them up on deck in the evening. He pointed to the stars and he says, very good, Monsieur, but who made all these? God did, exactly. Who made all these? God did. God made the world by the word of his power, ex nihilo, out of nothing, is what that phrase means. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created this entire world. And the cosmos, this universe, this world, points to the power and the holiness and the majesty of God. And as mediatorial king, Jesus is sovereignly directing all things and all events for the good of his elect. Even the creation of the heavenly bodies was part of his plan to save his people. Indeed, sun, moon, and stars are being controlled for the good of his church. Their very regularity, the very regularity, the predictability points to God's existence and in practical terms provides comfort to us, provides reassurance to us of the fact that God does exist and he cares for us. Furthermore, do you remember, children, the supernatural intervention? Do you remember in Joshua chapter 10? Do you remember when the sun stood still, when that great burning sun that will go across the sky like a bridegroom out of his chamber, and it stood still for a day so that God's people could win a great victory against their enemies. Do you remember King Hezekiah? when he wanted some sign from God that he actually, that God was going to spare his life for another number of years. And do you remember that the, the shadow on the sundial went backwards? 
You see, God was using all of those things for his glory and for our salvation, for our good, even in terms of supernatural intervention, even in terms of miraculously changing the orderliness, the normal activities of the heavenly bodies. And he was doing it for the people in that day. And ultimately, he was doing it for you and for me. Sovereignly. Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Sovereignly directing even the movements of the heavenly bodies for our salvation. And therefore, when you look at creation around you, remember to give thanks to God. But secondly, by way of application, remember, remember that your giving of thanks to God can only be done by means of his mercy. It can only be done by means of his mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness. His mercy, his mercy that comes to highest expression in the cross of Christ, whereby his son hung on the cross and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus, then, is the one who not only died, but also rose from the dead and ascended into glory. And therefore, my friends, do not forget that even your presenting of thanks comes about only because of God's mercy. He is the one who gives us the desire to offer thanks. Our minds, having been enlightened, so we're no longer children of darkness, but children of light. His blood, Jesus' blood, enabling us to come to God's throne room lay our worship, including our thanks, before him. Never forget, my friends, that when you give thanks to God, it can only be because of his mercy, and particularly his mercy as displayed at the cross of Christ. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would take this message and would apply it to our hearts. Oh God, we pray, have mercy on us. Have mercy upon each one. Let us know, Lord, thou the heart, thou searchest each heart. And so, oh God, we pray each one here would be given the grace to say now and on the day of judgment thy mercy endures forever so hear this our prayer we pray it in Jesus name amen